Hello and welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in 2024. Today, we have a very special guest, one of the people we'll be following all year long, Ramiro DJ Curly Guillen. Ramiro, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. I love this. It's funny, I have like flashback to my to my youth basically every time i say your name either in my head or to some other to somebody else or even to you because one of my favorite like morning djs when like we didn't just stream all of our music when like my back to my childhood which is basically your childhood we're basically the same age um was back in boston uh ramiro was one of like the most popular um hip-hop djs like on that scene it's like ramiro in the morning so i always think like ramiro in the morning whenever i say your name so that's apropos of nothing but i just had to get that out there because i've been sitting on that for like two months i like that <laughs> well like i can't wait to get into this as we've been doing with every single first episode here on the road of the trials season three we take a step back to say what were you doing at the olympic trials back in 2020 and for you unlike some of our other guests like you were actually there so take me back ramiro what was going on in your life around the, you know this time in 2020 well so uh Going to Atlanta, taking my family, you know, I was thinking it was going to be one of the best moments of my life. I've been waiting a long time for this, and and the day finally comes. The race starts. You know, I I see Galen Rupp up ahead, all the big names. I'm just star-stricken, you know, and um, I'm feeling really good. About five miles in, I say to myself, you know, I'm in this pack. I'm like man, I'm feeling really good. I think I might have a good race. And and then next thing you know, I'm on the ground rolling. And I I tripped, sprained my ankle, uh, got up and finished. But the day did not go how I planned. Oh, my gosh. It's it's like one of those things where, like, you know, spraining your ankle and, and running isn't entirely um, unheard of, right? Like, we've, like our friend, Danny Moreno, like in her in her line of work uh, or on the trails, like it's pretty commonplace, right? It's like the vast majority of athletes may really roll an ankle during the course of a race. Uh, and you see people on the track, right, get spiked or might take a fall. Like in marathoning, you don't see that very often. So w- what happened to you in that race that, that led to that result? Uh, the streets of Atlanta, there's lots of potholes. Um, it was crowded with a lot of runners. It was really windy and I think the ground was wet if I remember correctly. And it was just a bad mix. And I think, uh, somehow one leg clipped the other and I just, I went down and of course somebody took a photo of it and there's a (laughs) picture of me rolling (laughs) in between all these legs and, uh, man, so it ended up being one of the worst days ever. It, it was just awful. So you had a choice there, right? So you, uh, as you just mentioned, like you ended up finishing the race. Um, again, this happened so early. Like at that point, obviously all your hopes were dashed. Of like, all right, I'm obviously not going to be setting a PR, and whatever goals I had for the race are pretty much dashed at that point. So why go out and finish the race, considering what had just happened? So in 2016, I didn't make it to the trials. It was down in L.A. I took my kids and, um, you know, we were watching and I told them I'm going to be at the next trials. So I vowed to them that I would be there and that I would take them. And so uh, I qualified in 2017. 
and you know trained and then took them to Atlanta in 2020 along with Melissa and and her family and um so I got up and all I could think about was getting to the finish line and just hugging them um there's there's three things that I always push on my kids is uh you always finish what you start you always uh you know, give give it your all, and you just never give up. And yeah, that's tough. And it's, it's one thing to like, you know, say those platitudes in the morning as you're like, you're getting your lunches ready and shuttling them off to school or whatever. It's a different thing when you're like stumbling around <laughs> the Olympic trials on a bum on a bum leg. Were you one of the people who um decided to wear the alpha flies that day and to put people back in that time that weekend? Basically, Nike offered up free alpha flies to everyone who was racing they basically had a whole like room set up like hey if you want a free pair of alpha flies come and get them this was before they were on sale to the masses it was a um, a really interesting public relations maneuver and i know a lot of people end up wearing them that day and i know some people chose not to i wondered what what, what your thought was on that no totally i did not uh wear them for the race i, I don't like to do anything new before race um you know trying a new gel, new shoes, stuff like that. Um, I like to do it in training first. Um, but there's a section of us that got the shoes that just had the goal of selling those, you know, <laughs> for a higher price. Right, no, for sure. I, and the reason I ask is because I could imagine if you had worn them and then sprained your ankle that would have been a tough pill to swallow to be like, oh, my God, like, was was, was this preventable if I hadn't done that? And I guess, there's, of course, there's no way of knowing, but it would have been an easy way to be like, oh, my gosh, did I bring this upon myself? And that would have been kind of hard to deal with. No, I, I raced in the next percents, and, and that stack height's already pretty high. The course in Atlanta had so many turns, and so I was well aware of that fact. So, you know, I didn't want to deal with the alpha flight, which would, was even higher. Absolutely. No, so let's go back in time to, to, to your your running journey. This is something we have talked about offline before, and you have a really interesting path to this as someone who has qualified for the Olympic trials and, and done so fairly comfortably in 2020. Usually the people who fall into that group have similar backgrounds, right? Not always, and not always like, hey, I went to Michigan or I went to UCLA, but a lot of them had, hey, I was a former college runner and then kind of Things happened after college, and then you know the marathon came to me, and then we, we went from there, right? And that is, is seemingly the, the overwhelming majority of athletes, whether they were D3, D2, D1, but that's kind of the, the way things happened uh, to progress for the vast majority of both men's and women's runners. You, however, come from a kind of a, a different angle on this, and uh, especially for someone who's already qualified for the trials once, and we'll talk about what it may mean to do so as a master's runner. Um, I can't wait to, for you to, to, to tell the people what your running background is, because it is you know so different than so many of your competitors. Yeah, so um, I grew up playing soccer and baseball. Um, the only running I did would be in PE, or you know the jogathons in elementary school. Um, in junior high, I always try to run the the mile the fastest in the school and and I was super competitive and I would run a certain time and I would brag to everybody nobody would believe me All right, you, you, know? you have to tell us I love these stories I love the like what you ran in eighth grade mile stories uh probably like might have been sub six I don't remember the specific time but it's gotta be faster than that I I ran sub six 
and I am and I am not a talented athlete. So I, yeah. I remember I broke. I think it was I ran five fifty six, but the school record was four fifty four. So like I was mm-hmm. nowhere close to that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I this is like that was also the pinnacle of my running career. So I have to. I always have to ask people what they ran in, as an eighth grader. Oh, I, I don't have any uh, times official times from back then. <laughs> um, but no coolrunning.com to, no, to go back and look at? Not back then, no. <laughs> um, and I was just sad that nobody told me, hey, you should run in high school. So I just, I went to high school and I continued doing soccer. And, um, you know, I was on, uh, you know, freshman team, ninth grade, and then 10th, 11th, I was on junior varsity. And I saw the bench so much. I was just you know, I come from a soccer family, but uh, unfortunately, the genetics—like I, I was just really small, so I was on the bench a lot. So when you say small, was it height-wise? Like you were just really thin? Like what, how, how would you describe yourself? In ninth grade, I was four eleven, seventy-eight pounds. Oh my god! And everybody seventy-eight the, pounds. It was Ramiro. Oh, that's, so, that's nothing. I know. I was the smallest kid in school. Everybody would. Pick I would say my, my son is is seven, and he is the smallest kid on his seventh grade basketball team, and he weighs fifty three pounds. To put this in perspective, like the oh my, I was like that's why I had that reaction again. I don't want to body shame anybody, but I was no. like oh my gosh, I, I was I thought you were going to say like one hundred fifteen pounds or something. Everybody would pick me up. The seniors, <laughs> juniors, sophomores, other freshmen would always pick me up, and um, yeah. So it wasn't until in tenth grade. I went out for the track team and I went out, I was talking to a coach and I saw people training and I saw the hurdlers and I saw the look on their faces and I'm like, oh man, they are killing themselves. And I quit that day. So I quit track in 10th grade after one day and I didn't return until 11th grade because all my friends were doing track. And so I got super competitive and I'm like, man, I could beat them. And sure enough, you know, I uh, I was one of the better runners in 11th grade. And then 12th grade, I opted out of soccer finally and did cross country. And we were on a killer team. Uh, you know, we did really well in um, both cross country and track. And where and, were you living at the time? So I'm born and raised in Goleta, which is uh, just a little north of Santa Barbara here in California. So I went to Dos Pueblos High School. And, uh, yeah, I just never left this town. Still here. Wow. Look at that. That's amazing. All right. And then so post-college, again, so you, you had a really good experience, obviously, but kind of a limited one. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, you, you're, basically, your running background in high school, in terms of your running exposure, like, basically mimics mine. When I think about my high school sports, like, I don't even talk about, like, running track or cross country you know what i mean i basically had the same amount of years doing it as you did um so especially compared to like some of your peers like it's basically nothing right relatively speaking so post-college where did where was running in your mind at that point i'm sorry post high school i'm sorry so um i knew i liked running so i i was going to go to the junior college route and so i went to our local junior college ran um you know cross country and track but I dealt with a lot of injuries my freshman year. And so it didn't go very well, except for in cross country, I had a surprise performance and I got third in conference just out of nowhere. I had mono earlier that that year and um, just, you know, I was getting wrecked in all these races, but then in conference just came out of nowhere, got third. 
And, um, and then when we go to Southern California championships, like a week or two later, I sprained my ankle the night before the race. So I didn't even get to compete. My season was done. Wait, the night before the race, what were you doing? <laughs> we were at a, um, team dinner at a, a teammate's house, huge mansion. And, uh, I go in the backyard, I start shooting hoops and I get knocked over by this dude's uh, Great Dane. <laughs> so you were guard, you were guarded by a dog, and you sprained your ankle playing basketball the day before the the race. Oh my god! Yeah, and so that was freshman year. My season was done, um, and then going into track that year, um, just injuries. So I didn't even make it far in the season. But my sophomore year. My the head coach brought in my my coach Terry Howell, and uh, you know, he worked with me, and and we did a lot that year, um, and he's still coaching me now. So that was he came in in two thousand one, and he's still coaching me now. And uh, Danny Moreno, yep, who's on, who obviously people may know is on this series as well. Wow, so he so he brought was brought in as an assistant coach at that yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, and so, so uh, I won. So you, had, so, you had, so you had a much better sophomore season. Did yep. you? Did, what was what was the college route for you after that? Did you did you stay in college? Did you move on? What was what was the next move? Well, so under Terry, I, I won conference. You know, did really well in Southern California championships. Got seventh in the state meet, and uh, uh, for junior college, it's four miles, and you run at Woodward Park in Fresno, um, which is a historic, you know legendary course i was leading most of the race three miles i was leading and i died and i fell back so many places but then uh just the last like half mile i mowed everyone down caught back up to seventh so i was first team all state um and then going into track uh ran some some good times but then i got a stress fracture luckily i had signed the letter of intent to run for ucsb so after graduating from Santa Barbara City College, I, I went on to run at UCSB on scholarship. And wow. uh, so I only ran there about a year. And then, uh, you know, my life just kind of went in a different direction. Let's talk about that, right? And I think that's kind of what I was hinting at before yeah. in terms of like you didn't have the exact college experience, not college experience, but you didn't have the exact um experience growing up in in the running world as a lot of people as you came to it late you had this kind of this burst of success intermixed with a lot of injuries you go to ucsb and what happens then so it's 2002 um the ucsb cross-country team the year before killed it at ncaa cross-country i think they got like seventh and they had a bunch of guys returning so i was i was already going to be on the team joining them and um I was coming off a stress fracture, so I rushed back a little too soon. And, uh, you know, I thought we were going to have a lot of success as a team um, with all the returners and me from junior college stuff. And we ended up just racing and training. A couple guys got hurt. I was butting heads with the coach. um, And we just didn't do too well. Um, And then I redshirted a full year saving eligibility but then at that time i turned 21 and i discovered djing i started uh going out to uh, raves and parties and 
And then I just stopped going to practice. <laughs> and I, I just quit the team. Um, so did you stay in college or did you, just, did you leave so, school as well? So I quit running about 2004. And I, I still graduated from UCSB in 2005. And I didn't run a single step until about 2011. Wow. Late 2011. And uh, <laughs> I have a picture here to show you. Uh, let's see here. There you go. Looks like a different guy than what I'm looking at right now. So that was 2011. I got up to 182 pounds. Um, so fast forward a little bit from 2004 to then. Uh, you know, I was married, had two kids, but I was still DJing. Just no working out at all. Uh, my ex-wife at the time, she she pushed me out the door 2011 in November First run, two miles, 182 pounds. I almost fainted. <laughs> it was it was awful. It, I thought I could run eight-minute pace, and I was struggling. And uh, I didn't run the next day. And then the following day after that, she pushed me out the door again. And I, I didn't want to, but she was the type of person that I, I couldn't say no. So I went out the door. This time I made it three miles. And that's all it took. Two runs. And I was up all night and I, I came up with this plan. In six months, I'm going to get up to 100 miles a week. Oh, my God. And so I was running every other day, uh, three miles a day. And every two weeks, I would add another day. And then finally, when I was up to seven days a week, I would start adding three miles per week. And so that's how I got up to 100 miles. In six months, I lost 50 pounds. And uh, so once I did that, I lost all the weight. I had a base. I hit up my my old junior college coach. And I said, you know, coach me. And that's how we wow. got started 2011. All right. I got uh, like I got like 75 questions. I got to follow sure, up. Sure, so yeah. Let me, just, let me just start chronologically, I guess, going back for it. Um, what about your experience at UCSB – so turned either turned you off from running you mentioned before that you were racing and you had, you had these injuries but also you had some problems with the coach and and obviously that's that sucks but you know a lot of a lot of college athletes have problems with their coaches right and but but stepping away especially when you're a scholarship runner is a different thing altogether um and then also this djing part which also could potentially pull you in so talk to me about the the decision making process the pros and cons that you were weighing when you ultimately decided to step away I mean, I just had so much on my plate back then. Um, there's no way I could keep up with everything. Uh, add a girlfriend into the mix, turning 21, DJing, and the running. And I was starting to work a full-time job as well, as well as going to school. It was just too much on my plate, and there's just no way you could keep doing everything at once, or at least I thought back then. Um and so something had to go, and uh, it was it was uh, basically school and running. Although I did graduate barely. <laughs> so what about DJing pulled you in so much? We should say, like as people may have noticed when I introduced you, like I mentioned your DJ name. Like this is something that is still part of your life. It wasn't just some <laughs> sort of you know passing fad. You know, of like, hey, I'm in my young 20s. I'm going to go to the clubs. Like, this is something that, that's still part, very much part of your life. So, but what about DJing, even early on, attracted you to it? 
So in 2002, I went to Coachella and uh, I saw some of my favorite DJs that I was following from Europe and they were kind of doing their first big shows in the U.S. and I had the chance to go see them and there was like 20, 30,000 people and just moving to the beats and I was hooked. I was just mesmerized by this control that the DJ had over the crowd just with the music and and it just like I was I was hooked and I wanted to do that. I wanted to, you know, be on the other side of the speakers and control what came out and just have people's hands in the air and, and just have this like energy and and that's something that just I've always been addicted to. So did you grow up in a musical household? Um no, not really, but my uncle was a DJ and a musician. And so I used to tag along with him when I was a kid and, and just, you know, listen to records in his studio. And so he's my, he was my mentor for, for that um, as far as family goes. Now, we're not going to take a deep dive into sure. DJing right now. We'll probably yeah. do it at a later date because yeah. as we were doing the intro episode uh, with Peter Bromka and Stephanie Flippin. We were talking about like, hey, wonder how does how is DJ Curly able to manage these late nights and then you know some of these harder sessions? Like, does this count as a double? Like being on your feet for 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 this long? Uh, and we'll, we'll we'll talk about balancing sure. all of that. Um, but how long did it take you to go from like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I could do this? which is, again, a sentiment that a lot of people have about a lot of things, to then ha- go from that, that like little seed of an idea, to like getting fully involved and kind of living out that dream. Like, How long does that process take? I mean, it just took a lot of, you know, listening to, to music and, and just learning all this stuff um, and just practicing practiced a long time before I finally went out there and had my first gigs. Like, Um, how do you book a gig? Like, if you're new, like, you know, like, part of this obviously is a catch-22, right? You want to book a gig, but if you've never booked a gig before, it's probably hard to book one in the first place. Like, what is that process even like? A lot of networking, going and meeting people and just, um, you know, meeting people that are already doing the stuff and just say, hey, how do I get my foot in the door? Or how can I help you, you know... I'll start off the night and then you can just come in and play the rest <laughs> uh, and talking to the managers, stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's how I got my foot in the door. All right. So like you end up graduating from school 2005. You're yep. doing the DJing thing at night. You're working during the day. You're also raising some kids as well. Uh, married with kids. So during that time, during that six year span where you're, you know, you basically have, have left UCSB and before your now ex-wife's kind of kicking you in the behind, like, you got to get out. You got to be doing something with your health here. Um, during that six-year interim, did you miss running? Like, was there – how did running play in your mind at all during that time? I didn't even think about it. I didn't, I didn't even follow it. Um, you know, I, I started uh, looking into it a, a bit more when I started back up. And I didn't even follow, like, my teammates that I had left behind. I didn't even see what they were doing. And, uh, you know, interesting fact, I went to school with Stephanie Bruce. Um, When I transferred in as a junior college transfer, so I was a junior, she was a freshman. And so I didn't even see, like, 
you know, what happened like since I left. And so I had a lot of catching up to do. And, you know, I saw that, you know, she was going for the Olympic trials 2012. And, and so I was like, holy moly, like, and her husband too, who was actually a junior college rival of mine, Ben Bruce, um, you know, we, we go way back and, uh, and the success he had, I'm like, holy moly, how did I miss all of this? I had no idea. I, I was gone from the running world all those years. I had no idea what was going on. So when when you started looking that up and seeing that, again, this is after you started, you know, your first baby steps back into running. Did, when you saw how well they were doing and other people as well, was that motivating for you? Or was that dispiriting? Like, oh, my goodness, like, these were my peers, like, how did I let this fall away? Or were you like, all right, I'm going to get back there. I kind of got a little sad because, you know, uh, Ben Bruce transferred to Cal Poly, which is a rival school of UCSB. Same time I went to UCSB and, you know, I beat him. And, <laughs> uh, you know, when I made first team, you know, all state cross country, I outkicked him at the line there. And so I'm like, I was right there with him, like, and look how well he went on to do. If I had just stayed running, I would have been like right there. <laughs> and so I was like, man, like, why didn't I just stick with it? And I mean, what can you do? You know, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. So I, uh, I just like forgot about that and just looked forward. Um, and I instantly knew I wanted to do the marathon. You know, after seeing what I missed and all my friends were doing the marathon. So I'm like, oh, I guess I got to do the marathon. And so once I linked up with my coach, the goal was to qualify for Boston. So um, I already had, you know, six months of base. So I trained for another like three, four months, ran the Santa Rosa Marathon 2012 um, to try and get a Boston qualifier for try and run uh, Boston in 2013 and I ended up winning my first marathon so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, lo I love stories like this because like we all know runners who like they're like if I take three days off I will lose everything and you're yeah. like I took six years off and I lost nothing yeah so it was almost it was like seven and a half years off total yeah that's a good point uh, yeah uh, without running a single step. Actually, I lie, though, when I tell that story. Um, there was one time I got a Bob stroller off Craigslist when my son was uh, a baby. And it was just sitting there on the porch for a long time. Finally, you know, I was mad at myself. I was hungover from the club, and I was mad. And I'm like, man, I can't keep doing this. So I put my son in the stroller. We do one run, and I almost faint. And... I got rid of it. I'm like, I'm not doing this. I got rid of the stroller after one run. And so this was probably 2000. Back on, back on Craigslist for the Bob stroller. Yeah, it was about 2009 or 2010. My son was a year or so old. Well, that, 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 that's not that big of a lie. I think we can let that slide. <laughs> that one, one run. One run. <laughs> well, and here, so, so you, so Terry Howell, back in your life, so is he coaching you? remotely at that point or are you guys living close enough together that where, no, he, where he can see you in person he was in town and so in the beginning it was just me and him uh two two days a week or actually we'd meet up once a week only on the track because the the second road workout i'd just be on my own and then i would do my own long run 
So, yeah, one day a week we'd meet up and then just texting or on the phone call, you know, email, tip. Um, now, you mentioned you've been in the same town for the, you know, almost your entire life at this point, uh, considering your running background and running in college and things like that. And again, never leaving the same town. Were you drawn to potentially running with other people? Was this kind of a solo venture? How did you manage the the, the social part of this, knowing now that like you're fully ingrained in that life, and like you're, and we'll talk about this later. Like you're in fact helping lead a group of people who are trying to do what you've done. Uh, but where did the the social side of things play back in 2012 and that time? Well, the the thing with running, you know, is you only run hard two three days a week, so. Four days a week, I was I was running easy, so that's where the social aspect came. I, I could run with people that you know wouldn't be able to keep up with me on the other days, and so uh, you know I would I would uh, just ask people to meet up with me, um, or I would try to link up with other groups, just little social running groups, and just get my easy miles with them. Um, but I would reach out to a lot of people from out of town and. and when they come and visit and, you know, we'd run together like Scott Smith, you know, uh, he, he used to run for NAZ elite. He's a gaucho, UCSB gaucho graduate, oh. um, a little younger though. But when he'd come into town, we would run together. Um, yeah, he's a 212 guy, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, because um, he, he retired about a year ago, correct? Yep. Okay. Gotcha. And all right. So, so you first goal get a bq you end up winning the race um what what did that do if anything to just your mindset of like where the trajectory of your running is potentially going um so yeah it was just like short goals like i didn't really have like a big long-term goal yet and so just first marathon wow it wasn't that bad uh 240 uh, even with running extra distance, I got misdirected at the finish. Um, <laughs> ran an extra quarter mile, so uh, I would have been two thirty eight or so. But two forty, I'll take it. First marathon, um, and then keep training to Boston, which twenty thirteen. We all know that what happened there. Um, uh, but I missed all the everything that happened. I was done uh, pretty early. Um, I was back we should tell hotel. people Ramiro was referencing the the bombing that happened at the finish line. Yeah, so I missed that. I I was sick after the race. I went straight to the hotel and passed out. Woke up to my phone ringing off the hook, and people were like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "What do you mean? Like I'm okay? I'm just a little sick." They're like, "No, turn on the TV." And I turn on the TV, and I I thought I was watching a movie. <laughs> I'm like yeah. flipping through the channels, everything. Wait, this is on every TV or on every station, and then I finally put everything together, and I'm like, "Holy crap!" Like I was just there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's amazing you didn't hear it as it was happening. Yeah, uh, my hotel was uh, in Revere Beach, so it was like a couple train stops down. Yeah, so yeah. I got I got out of town, um, so I missed everything. Um, but then, uh, like what uh, Peter Bronca has been. Uh, talking about uh he, he ran it in 2014 i went back to boston the following year because i just like had to go show like support uh, of boston the, the people the race everything so I, I returned 
a year later and and did it again and uh yeah it was just quite an experience being there uh everybody just so unified in support and in a lot of these conversations we talk about the juxtaposition of preparing for 2020 and, and whether or not people were potentially going to qualify for the 2020 trials and you know kind of taking that journey and then, you know, kind of like overlaying it on the potential 2024 journey, obviously for you with 2016 being in L.A., so kind of your hometown marathon, so to speak, what was that like? Did Was the trials even on your radar? And, and just talk to me about like how that did or didn't fit into your life at that point. So back then, the qualifying time was 105 and a half and 219 in the full, I think. And... um I was still far from that. I had only run about 223 in the in the full and uh I'd only run 108 in the half. Um so in 2016 um I ran the Houston half uh in January and I ran 10649 which is my PR still. Um and it, it was still far from 105 flat, but it's like Regular people are just like, oh, man, you were just, you were right there. <laughs> you were so right, close. But, yeah. But that's like five seconds a mile or so. Right. At that point, if you're, yeah, it's, at that point, you're like, you're 10 seconds a mile almost. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's a, yeah. For, for someone of your caliber, that's a huge gap, right? Yeah. It's like someone looking at like, oh, the 100 meter dash, you know, the person who run ran in 10 seconds, person who came in fourth, came in 10.2. That's pretty close. You're like, no. That's not close there. Yeah. They were, they were way behind. Um, and it's like the same thing with, with you, right? Like you're talking to someone like, Hey, you're only a minute behind this person. You're like, yeah, but that's like a quarter of a mile almost, yeah. you know, compared to how fast some of these people are running. So the year before, uh, 2015, the LA marathon hosted the U S championships marathon. And I was part of that. And I just remember lining up next to, uh, Ryan Hall, like right behind Ryan Hall, and I was just starstruck again. <laughs> um, and it was a hot day. We started at Dodger Stadium. And the the day just heated up. And I remember just plugging along. Like, I was on PR pace. My, my PR at the time was 225 or uh, 227. And um, I just remember just one mile at a time, you know. And I see Ryan Hall walking on the side. I'm like... I just beat Ryan Hall in this race. <laughs> I just got to get to the finish line. And so I finished and through attrition, you know, it was the U S championships, but so many people dropped out or faded. I ended up getting 13th <laughs> at the 2015 U S championships and in the marathon. And so, you know, with the trials being in LA a year later, I just I wanted to run it so bad, but it didn't happen in Houston. So I, I dragged the kids down there with me to watch. And all my friends were in the race. They qualified with half marathon times. And they were suffering in the heat. And I remember yelling at them like, dude, I wish I could be in this race. Don't you walk. Don't you walk right now. Don't give up. You have to finish. Like, I wish I could trade places with you. You know, and, and they were like, you know what? You're right. So they... That got a few of the guys to the finish line, just that little hype up there. 
Well, no wonder you didn't walk in 2020 then, uh, considering considering your background. Uh, I mean, yeah, 2016. I did a um, I think a rerun episode where we we basically dialed. We we talked about that race, and it was David Roche, and then someone else as well, be on the women's side. I can't remember who it was. Maybe Carrie Tomlinson. I honestly I can't remember, but it was um, it was so hot. Like, was watching. If you can go on YouTube and watch this, it was like burning hot. There was no shade, none. Yeah. Like, and it was like watching people like just dying out there. And it was, it was an interesting watch. And you're like, oh my goodness, like this is, this is insane. This is really insane in terms of what they're putting these runners through. Um, and obviously in Atlanta, you kind of had the opposite. Like it was cold and it was windy and, oh, and yeah. things like that. And, you know, and we'll see what happens in Orlando. Obviously, Orlando on February 3rd, it could be anything. I mean, literally, it could be anything. It could be, you know, 80 degrees and humid for all we know. Um, or it could be, you know, 65, but we'll see. But it'll be an interesting, an interesting thing, that's for sure. So LA happens. You tell your kids, I'm going to be there. Um, when you said that to your kids, I guess, how serious were those words, right? When I, when I say that, I mean, like, was that, like, aspirational, motivational? Were you, like, trying to speak it into existence? Or were you, like, did you fully believe when you said that? Oh, I fully believed. It just, like, wasn't, uh, you know, you can't rush the marathon. And it's just things will line up when it's supposed to. And it, it just has, like, almost a mind of its or a life of its own that way. Like, it won't. You're not, you know, uh, like uh, Bronca says, it doesn't owe you anything, right? Uh, so it just wasn't time yet. So I just needed more time. And so I just needed to stay consistent with what I was doing. And eventually it would pay off. And so um, that year I ended up running 221 at CIM. And um I'm like, okay, so I started at 240 in 2012 and now 2016 i'm at 221 i'm like and i have a couple years to chop it down sub 219 and so uh it just happened a year later 2017 um i ran 217.35 at cim so i dropped you know about four minutes in one year right you were all of a sudden you were safely under under the the number, which is huge. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's let's just fast forward a little bit, right? You you talked about how that race went. Um so when did you think, all right, like let's run it back. I I want to qualify for the twenty twenty four trials. We should say like right now, like you're a masters runner. Now, right? You mentioned like, hey, Ben Bruce is my was my peer in college. Ben Bruce just won the Masters five K in Atlanta this past weekend, right? Like that's that's your these are your cohorts, right? Like you and I, we're the same age. Like I know, you're, you're, I'm speaking your language here. You're going back to like this is the year I was in college. Like hey, this year I was in college. Um, you know, and, and I'm, I just turned forty two, and and so when, at what point did you, was the twenty twenty four trials again in your radar of like I want to go do that again? This I want to get back to this spot. Uh. Pretty much the day after the 2020 trials, I'm like, I got to do it again because I left Atlanta so unfulfilled. Um, you know, I, I went through a period of like depression, like, man, that wasn't what I was expecting. Like, I thought I was going to feel something <laughs> and it was such a letdown, uh, disappointing performance, the injury, 
I'm like, man, I kicked myself. I kicked my ass for, you know, so long, just eight, nine years or whatever, just to get here. And now what? Like, what do I do now? And so I'm like, let's just do it again. Let's go back and do it over. And so that, that's been the focus ever since. Um, but, you know, COVID happened that, and injuries. And it's just, it's been hard since then. But that's the focus is to get back there. Um, last weekend, I was supposed to race the uh, Ventura half. And uh, I had to drop out due to illness. <laughs> Second second round with COVID. Oh, oh, such a bummer. Such a bummer, right? Yeah. Dude, your home your hometown race. So let's um let's talk about what, what this what the potential calendar looks like for you. Obviously you you wanted to run the Ventura half. Um maybe talk about like why you wanted to run a half marathon at this point in the year and how you're projecting out the races that you're either locked into or some of like the alternatives, like if this goes well, they'll do this. If maybe I need it doesn't go great. I'll do this. Like, how is the calendar shaping out for you? So for this year, all I had on the calendar was uh, Ventura Half, um, Grandma's Marathon, which Melissa gave me permission to run. It's going to be shortly after the baby's born. We should say, like, hey, you, you're, you have two, you have two kids that you've had for a while. You, you got a baby on the way. Like, hey, you're going to, you're like a master's runner who also has a baby on the way. You're hitting some, some unique boxes here. <laughs> Just clicking all the boxes, yep. <laughs> so, uh, and then CIM for last chance. Um, I ran CIM last year, and it wasn't to try and, and run a fast time. It was just, let's just get back into racing again, get used to the marathon, because I, I didn't finish. I dropped out of CIM in uh, 2021 with a calf strain. So I hadn't finished. A marathon since the trials and so uh you know i try to my goal was to run 220 to 222 at last year's cim and i faded i ran 226 and so the goal with this ventura half was like okay it's slightly downhill downhill but let's just try to get a pr and uh see where we're at in relation towards running sub 218 um and uh, so I couldn't race. I was bummed. But my teammate, he beat my PR. He won the race. And we've been training together, like, side by side. And this, this half marathon PR has been eluding me for ever since uh, Houston 2016. And so that that would have been my chance to beat my PR. <laughs> um, well, you gonna, let's, let's talk about that, right? So, like, you had basically three months post-CIM. To kind of keep keep the fitness going and 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 make it happen, um, grandma's is still a ways away. So, is there going to be a potential other half marathon or other races on the calendar that are going to be inserted that maybe weren't there originally? Well, right now I'm booked every weekend uh, before the baby's born. I'm booked every weekend for DJ gigs, uh, weddings, and nightclubs. Um, so I'm going to have to see which nightclub nights I can cancel so I can go in and jump into a half marathon. Uh, kind of Are there local. any weekday half marathon races we can enter? Man, I need to just do a time trial middle of the week. There you go. There you go. Oh, there's probably so many runners around you. Uh, that would be into it. We, should, we keep mentioning your wife 
Melissa, so your your second wife, um, Melissa, not the one who was back in 2011, was like, hey, get get your get out the door, get out there running. Um, so Melissa, actually, people who are familiar with the Rambling Runner podcast may know. So her first appearance on the podcast, she's been on it twice was when she was uh, Melissa Danahy. That was episode 308, which was a really powerful conversation that she had on the show. And then she was on again as Melissa Guillen, your wife. And then um, it was episode 388. And that episode was also really well received coming back from hip surgery to run three ultras in three months, which was an awesome episode. And she actually, so she ran Ventura. Yeah. So, so she, she was out running this past weekend. Yeah, she ran the half with the baby. That's awesome. Good for her. So obviously we're hoping, obviously all the all the health um, and all that for for her uh, and your and your uh, your child that will be coming uh, in a few months as well. Um, really, obviously rooting for you guys. Uh, that is for sure. Thank so you. in the next episode, we'll definitely dive into the training that you're going into, and we'll definitely be spending time talking about your running group. So you're still working with Coach Terry Howell. In addition to that, um, it seems like you're trying to to shepherd some some young guns along who are basically like half your age, which is really exciting. And, and I'm, I'm sure probably giving you some juice uh, to kind of keep to keep the good vibes going. So thank you so much for coming on the show for our nice intro episode to talk about uh, the past and, and what's currently going on. Ramiro, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.